Welcome to the Hunt Back Country podcast. This is episode number 438. And if you're a regular listener of the podcast, you may notice this is releasing on a Friday, which is a bit out of the norm. Typically, we release our full-length episodes on Wednesdays, but today we have a follow-up to our listener before and after the Hunt series that I wanted to get out as soon as possible. We were speaking with Brian, who did a float moose hunt in Alaska with a couple of his buddies. The Before the Hunt episode was number 422, so you may have heard that or you may want to go listen to that before this one. But today we're speaking with Brian several months after the hunt because of crazy schedules to hear how the hunt went, the lessons they learned, the takeaways they have for planning future hunts, including future Alaskan moose hunts, and a whole lot more. I hope that you guys enjoy this. Again, if you're not yet subscribed, it's simple. Just hit subscribe or follow in any podcast app. It's going to be free. You're going to receive future episodes automatically, including the series that we're continuing with right now on our Wednesday episodes with different state and fish and game agencies. So we just recently released an episode with Wyoming, and we have other states coming. So be sure to check those out. Thanks as always for tuning in. If you do have any questions, comments, or feedback for us, send an email to podcast at exomountaingear.com. But right now, let's dive into this conversation with Brian. Brian, welcome back, man. It's uh Kind of interesting timing. We're recording this uh, here at the end of the year, but we're talking about a hunt that happened several, several months ago when you guys went to Alaska for this moose hunt. I know you had a just a crazy busy fall. I was out hunting. Steve was out hunting. You were out hunting. And finally, our schedules are allowing us to sync and talk about this. So I'm excited. <laughs> yeah. As you guys know, the those fall seasons, especially when you're trying to coordinate with three guys, it gets kind of tough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We actually, I mean, we've had... Uh, I don't want to say people beating down our door by any means, but numerous messages like, Hey, are you guys still doing the after the hunt about the moose drop? You know? <laughs> oh uh, yeah. So I know there's folks waiting for it. I'm excited to hear about it. I know Steve, you're looking to plan a moose hunt and always yeah. you know, stuff up. So I'm going to yeah, be all ears. Yeah. All right. Well, hopefully I can be of some, uh, some insight for everybody and yeah, it'll be fun. Cool. Thanks for having me back on guys. Appreciate it. Yeah. Well, in case either someone didn't catch the first episode or you know since it has been a handful of months here maybe you forgot the details yeah. you give us a, a thirty thousand foot like quick flyby overview of who you are who you're doing this hunt with uh just the big picture real quick just to kind of set context sure sure so um my name is brian shoning uh i'm a western nebraska guy um grew up out here and i met a good friend chad mckinney in college he was actually my roommate um and we lost contact for a while and then just our hunting interests brought us back together and so we've we've done lots of elk hunting and deer hunting and waterfowl and you name it anything that we can possibly hunt um together since we've kind of reconnected and we've always talked about going to alaska and finally he's just like all right we're doing it it's we're doing it in the fall of 23 let's get started planning and his brother wanted to go with us so we uh just started researching kind of and figured out i guess the biggest thing i'm i'm proud of is that we kind of figured out where we wanted to go on our own and then just coincidentally um a guy that they knew had had been in the same area i can't remember if it was the i think it was two years ago that they were in this area and they had some great success and we'd actually already marked points on our onyx of kind of where we wanted dropped and things like that and just coincidentally happened to be the the the, basically the same exact place that they dropped into um and so then we kind of just started diving into logistics and anybody who's done a hunt like this one of the hardest things they know is is figuring out those logistical parts like how you're getting in who's getting you in how you're getting out all those types of things because um there's you guys know as when you go to alaska there's tons of moving parts and probably even more so than what we thought there were i guess um 
but yeah, so we just kind of started him taking on that journey and it took, I bet I, I think I called like 12 to 15 different pilots before I found one that could get me where we wanted. Um, we really wanted back in there a long ways. We ended up, um, almost exactly where we wanted. We didn't quite get as far up the river as we hoped. Um, and that was just because there was another camp up there already that had went in a few days prior to us. So were the pilots just busy or they just didn't want to take you that far or plane didn't have the capabilities? A little bit of all of that, I guess. Um, so I started calling pilots, gosh, I can't even remember. I think it was November or December of last year. And I didn't ever, I talked to a couple that said that they were booked on that weekend, but for the most part, guys said they could do it. But a lot of the pilots up there that I found that are um, kind of easy to get a hold of and things like that, a lot of them have floats on their planes. And not all of them, but some of them have wheels that where you have to land on um, like a runway of some sort. I mean, they don't have the big bushcraft wheels. And so that was kind of hard to find. And finally I got a, I got a couple names um, from, from one pilot who actually, I, like I said, I just started finding pilots in Alaska and just started calling and seeing if I can get some connections um, because everything I had found didn't really, couldn't really get me where I wanted to go. So I just kept calling, got a couple names and, uh, two pilots gave me the same name of another guy that they said they know he kind of works that area I wanted to go into, but wasn't real sure because there's a guide close by on that same river and wasn't real, wasn't real sure. Um, and I guess long story short, we, I ended up getting a hold of this guy and we spent, I mean, it was probably like a 30, 45 minute conversation on the phone before he actually said that he would do it. Um, it was, it, I'm sure it's a, a local thing where, you know, you don't want a bad name with, with anybody. You don't want, there's a, like I said, there's a guide on that river. You don't want him thinking that you're dropping into his territory, you know, just giving everybody a bad name and you don't want to uh, mess up anybody's hunt. You just try to be careful with stuff. So it took a good long conversation with him and just telling him, letting him know that, Hey, this is where I want to go. Like I've already done all the logistical stuff. I just need to find somebody to get me in there. Um, mm. and this same pilot, he had actually dropped the group or was going to drop the group further up the river where I was saying there was already a camp up there. He was dropping that same group. So part of his agreement was he wanted to take us in because he didn't want somebody else taking us in and dropping on his hunters either. So mm. he wanted to make sure everybody was kind of in the area that they wanted to be in, but without, without overdoing it and, you know, messing something up for somebody else that already had a plan. Yeah. Um, so it worked out good. Uh, like as we ended up really, we were only like a mile below, um, where I really wanted to be. So it wasn't that big of a deal, I guess. Uh, the guys that he had dropped, I think were two miles above us. And actually it worked where he wanted to drop us. He ended up not being able to get the plane down on that gravel bar because of the, um, the wind blowing in sideways on the plane. So he actually had to drop us further than he really up than he really wanted to even. So it actually all worked out pretty good for us in the end. Curious. I've been somewhat starting here with a lot of these before and after the hunts. And obviously we're kind of diving into the logistics of it and you flying in, but I'm curious, was there anything that stands out from the first before podcast we did and then between the time of recording that and then the hunt kicking off? Did you guys make any kind of, I don't want to say last minute changes, but, you know, was there any changes in logistics, plans, things like that that stand out or not so much? Mark, you know that uh, big storm you got caught in up on the mountain when you were doing your goat hunt? Yeah. It prevented us from getting in when we wanted to get in. Okay. <laughs> so... So I guess that was our biggest logistical thing is that first day we, I showed up at, so I was taking that plane in and then we had another company flying my buddies in. And then the pilot that I was using was going to go pick them up and taxi them to me. So we were, it was really hard because we were trying to coordinate with two different pilots at one time. And it wasn't like we wanted to send one plane out and then have them come back and get one more guy and go back and forth three times. Cause we're, 
this bush plane, we're playing hourly. And I wish I could remember what it was hourly. I, it was a lot though. Um, so, so we wanted him in the air with as much stuff and as little time as we could possibly do. And flying back and forth for three guys was not logistical for us. Um, so we were trying to coordinate with those two pilots and actually we both, so we showed up at our, our, uh, airports that morning on the, that'd have been August 30th, 31st. We showed up on the 31st and it was pretty calm that morning. Then the stuff kicked up and that's when that it just got super nasty there. And basically said, there's no way that we're going today. And so we kind of hung around, um, and just kind of hung out with our bush pilot basically all day. We just hung out with him for the day and waited. So that actually put us a day behind. And then the next day we actually didn't think we were going to get out either, but it opened a window opened up and we, we did get out on September 1st, but as far as logistics go, outside of that nothing really changed things went pretty smooth um we i don't know if i mentioned this on the last podcast or not but i'm actually a i'm an elementary principal so like me getting the time off is very difficult uh the two guys i went with had were a little easier to get time off so we were kind of on a tight window and honestly a lot of that's because of my job um so we on the 30th we flew from denver we flew all through the night and we showed up early the morning of the 31st we didn't really sleep we just went planned to go straight to the airport and uh so when when we were not able to get our flights out we were kind of bummed out that we had went through all this rush and went with a sleepless night to to make all this happen and then didn't even get out and now we're sitting here just, just like every Alaska hunt is, I mean, you, you really ideally want to plan extra days in the front and extra days on the end. Um, but unfortunately just what I do for a career just didn't allow that. How much time essentially did you have like total door to door from home? Like what type of window were you able to carve out? So we left at around noon on August 30th and came back on september 10th okay yeah i mean that's that's tight for a moose hunt <laughs> yeah oh for sure yeah for sure yeah i think we were planning on our plan was 10 days with the day in we ended up at nine um with the extra day for travel at the beginning so yeah it's super tight so otherwise logistically everything seemed to work out just fine um we did decide we we didn't need to but we decided to ship some things up early rather than flying with it all um and i'm kind of glad we did we i guess it just gave us kind of the peace of mind we we knew somebody up there that we could have it all shipped to so we just shipped it to her and knowing that it was already there and there was no chance of it the bag getting misplaced or something like that kind of put you at ease that hey your stuff's already there we just need to make sure we get there. And if it wouldn't have shown up um, when we shipped at UPS, if it wouldn't have shown up, then we could have got it and taken it up with us or, you know, purchased it at Shields or Cabela's or whatever up there. But yeah. What type of things did you ship like intentionally? What? Because obviously you're traveling with some stuff, you're pre-shipping some stuff. What decisions are you making on what goes ahead of time? Really as much stuff as, as we could. Mostly what we had with us was our clothing. Um, in our in our uh, packs on the plane um, and then obviously our rifles but we so like our our tent um, all of our food our jet boils our f- jet boil fuel um, extra shelters I mean really you name it other than our other than our weapons and our clothes basically everything was up there already and I, I, th- I think I do have a list. I just don't have it on me right now, but I have a list of everything we shipped up that if any, if anybody wanted it, they c- I could always share it with them. Did you just go to FedEx or UPS and ship it up there? Or did you find a cheaper yeah. way to do it? I know, I know there's some, some other options as where you could probably get a little bit cheaper, but we just took it straight to UPS. Got it. I don't, 
you can't ever tell if anything would have got lost or not. But uh, when we came home, um, one of our, our, my buddy Chad or Cole, sorry, Chad's brother, Cole, uh, his rifle didn't make it out of Anchorage. And that's what I was just thinking. I was like, man, if we'd have had bags of stuff and something didn't make it, then our, our flights would have left when they were supposed to leave. We'd have been out there without it. So, yeah, we talked a little bit delays, you know, getting to the spot. You got close to where you wanted to be. Um, I'm just curious, like, especially you guys, this first Alaskan hunt period, first, obviously, Alaskan moose hunt, flying into an area you've scouted, but you've never been there. That, like, moment of either landing there or landing there, but then watching that plane fly away. That's always, I think, an interesting moment. Like, how did that hit you? (laughs) I absolutely loved it, to be honest with you. Like, it was... There wasn't much better feeling. And to be honest with you, the last time the plane flew away was great. But the the time that I really soaked it in, like I said, those two guys took a different plane in. They took a beaver in and got dropped somewhere else. And I took this, uh, I think it was a Mall M6. And I got dropped by myself. I was about 30 miles as a crow flies from them. Um and I got dropped all by myself. And when that plane took off and I was literally out there by myself with nobody else, I I can't even tell you how happy it made. Like, it's kind of weird. It sounds <laughs> weird. But like, it was that feeling like this is happening. Like, this is real. Like, you're looking around, you're taking in the landscapes that literally only Alaska can offer. And like, it was, it was my, I think I had 15 minutes there by myself to just soak it in you know and i took about five of it and soaked it in and then i got the spotting scope out and started searching so (laughs) when the three of us were all there and that last plane took off and and flew away that was actually talking about the video that was one of my favorite videos that i took of the whole thing was that plane flying away it's just i don't know it's it's just that extra picture that that i'll never forget Mm -hmm. getting dropped from civilization and there there goes your contact right there. Yeah, that's a cool feeling for sure. I mean, I remember yeah. the the very first trip I did to Alaska was that caribou drop camp and yeah, that plane flies away and you realize how remote you truly are and Yeah. Yeah. Pretty exciting. Yep. Yep. Yeah, you're sitting there with your uh in reach or I I use a Zolio, I guess, but whatever it is, your your source of communication and that's all you got. You did, there's it's a different sense of alone than like if even if you're in the mountains elk hunting or whatever you know it's just you can definitely feel the difference and it's it's pretty exciting uh cole this was actually his first time he did he's done one overnight with us uh elk hunting before but otherwise he had never really done any overnight backcountry type hunts either so that was that was new for him this was his first experience he was really relying on on Chad and I, who we have, we have quite a bit of experience doing it. So we weren't worried about taking him in there, and, but he's got a lot of hunting experience, just not the actual backcountry parts. And, uh, no, I don't, I don't know if he could even describe the feeling. He was pretty stoked. What is the plan? The plane flies away. Are you guys planning on starting to float right away? Are you hunting from this location for yeah, you know a period of time? What's that look like? So where we were dropped, we had to carry our rafts probably three or four hundred yards, which if you've ever carried a a raft like that, it's not very easy. (laughs) They're heavy. There's lots of stuff with the frame and all that. Like, so that took a lot of work. Um, Our plan was to get the raft set up and then we're just going to camp right there. We, we didn't want, we, what we didn't want to do is we, we didn't want to take off down the river um because we felt like where we were getting dropped is really where our best odds were at probably so we didn't want to take off down the river that first day and we couldn't hunt that day anyways even though it was september 1st um when we fly in like that you can't hunt that day so we just wanted to spot from there and then we wanted to make sure that we were able to hunt up in that area um that next day so we just got our rafts set up and typical alaska you know where you 
we were just getting the rafts to the river, hadn't blown them up or anything, and it just started downpouring. Absolute downpour. We didn't have a shelter up. We didn't have, and you could kind of see it coming, but you never know how much rain is actually going to come with it. But it flat out dumped on us. It just, it was just kind of that. It was sunny when we got there, and then it wasn't. It was the welcome to Alaska yeah. rain that, <laughs> you know, I mean, you guys know what that's all about. It just, it's different. It's a different yeah. kind of, and I've heard it before. It's, it's a different kind of wet up there than what we're used to. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, we got, we ended up getting the rafts blown up there. Um, we, it was kind of, uh, we were a little bit disappointed in the pumps that were provided to us by the raft company. They weren't the highest of quality. Um, my buddies run the exact same rafts in Wyoming and they have good pumps and they're easy to blow up. But these two rafts took us a long time and a lot of work to get blown up. So that was kind of unfortunate, but what size and type of rafts were you using? Oh, one second here. I think I can tell you. I can find my. Yeah, I think just while you're looking for that, I think we covered that briefly in the before. And then I'm not bringing this up mm. to mention the model number, but uh, as you mentioned, Brian, like uh, I remember asking about rafts and you said that I don't know if it was your friends with you on this hunt or just some friends you knew that had experience with these very rafts because we were talking about, you know, if you guys were renting or what have you. And I just think that's a huge yeah. benefit to be like, yeah, we're going up there and doing this hunt. We've never done this hunt, but. We do either have some firsthand or direct, uh, you know, can get some firsthand experience with the specific graphs. I just think it's a big advantage. Yeah, it was actually these guys that I went with. They have the rest. So they were uh, NRS 142s. So they were 14 footers. um, And we had two of them. And yeah, kind of like you said, Mark, the those guys had a lot of river experience. They're both very good with rafts. and, And so that was nice. I, I actually, the whole trip, I never got behind the oars, which was okay with me. I got a glass and they knew, they knew what they were doing. I offered, yeah. I offered, but, but they, they didn't trust you. Every time, so. No, <laughs> no that's, I was like, darn, that's too bad. Right. So, um, but yeah, there, so there were 14, 14 footer footers. So, um, hmm. and I, I, I wouldn't be able to tell you the difference in the pumps, to be honest with you. I just know these guys said they have a better pump at home that takes half the time. So, but so this area you're, you're wanting to kind of hunt here um, and not necessarily float right away is how, I guess, what is the hunting strategy for this area? And like two things come to mind for me. uh, And I caveat this with, I'm not a moose hunter, but was there a glassing point you're trying to get to or was there no advantage there and you're trying to stay in this area and do some calling? So we knew we were too early probably for calling to be effective right at the beginning of the season. Um, so our strategy was to, to glass something up and then make a move on it. And where we were dropped, the nice thing about where we were dropped, and to be honest with you, I would go back to the exact same place. I would do things a little bit different, which we can talk about later, but I would go back to the exact same place. You could see forever. I can't even tell you how many miles you could see, but it was gradually sloped and the trees were not, um, they didn't extend super far from the river. So you were able to glass the top of the the tree line from the river. And so that's what we spent our first handful of days doing um, is just being able to, to, put eyes on something somewhere uh, to, and everything we found um, as far as bulls were above tree line. Now I kind of like what you said, I, I can't really call myself a moose hunter. Like I'm, it's not like I'm an expert at it by any means, but it just, so I don't know if that changes when the rut kicks in, maybe they come down into the timber more or closer. To, I mean, they got to come down to the river at some point, I'm sure. But a lot of the bulls that all the bulls that we ended up seeing were above the tree line. Um, now the tree line wasn't too far from the river. I'm, we're talking like maybe a mile of trees. Um, but the river was very wide where we were at, and so you could you could really see a long, long ways. 
in really every direction. So that was kind of our strategy. There were some places as we got further down river where we, we looked for uh, glassing knobs where we went above the tree line and glass from there. Um, but the initial strategy was just glass from the river, you know, make your way a mile or two up river, a mile or two down river and glass and, and see what you can turn up from there. We had calls with us, but we, everything that we had found and, and research and stuff talked about, about maybe early September being just a little early for that type of thing. So that, that rain that hit, we guys were setting rafts. Did that let up at all or hunting, getting into, I guess the first hunt day, are you guys still doing okay. a bunch of rain? Do you have visibility to glass? Yeah, so we actually woke up that next morning and everything had cleared off. It basically rained all night, but um, everything had cleared off that morning. And we were able to start glassing stuff up. Um, and I talk about soaking it in when that plane flew away and stuff. This That first morning, it was kind of a soaking it in type of thing, too. I mean, we woke up and we looked up on the hillside and we saw there was five caribou, all either... Um, cows or young bulls there was black bears everywhere uh there was one grizzly bear uh we saw and a cow moose so like we that's what we woke up to our first morning is just like oh there's this there's this you're spawning all these different things up and um i i was the first person to kind of say that i was willing to um use my moose um tag to kill a caribou. So if there would have been a good caribou right up above camp, I, I guarantee you I was going after it, but um, everything was young, little bulls. So I didn't want to, um, on day number one, I wasn't willing to, to do that. So, um, but yeah, kind of just woke up and started glassing everything up. We didn't, gosh, I'm trying to remember back now. I can't remember if we spotted our first bull that afternoon or if it was the next day. Um, but we ended up spotting, like I said, I can't remember if it was the afternoon of the first day or the the sec- early the second day. But we ended up spotting up a bull that was, gosh, he was probably a couple miles away. Um, and at that distance, there was no way for us to tell if he was legal or not. So we went ahead and went after him. Um, it would have been really tough if we'd uh, got on him. He was upriver from us, which he was probably two miles upriver. So it was going to be a heck of a pack out if, we, if we'd ended up. You can't take the boats back upriver is the problem. So it would have maybe been kind of interesting, but it was far enough and it took us long enough to get through that that uh, Alaska brush and stuff that by the time we got there, we couldn't turn him back up. So it was kind of unfortunate, but it there's uh not really any description as to how fast your blood starts pumping when you see that first bull i mean <laughs> whether it's elk hunting and you get a bugle or i mean you guys know all about it you get something that you think you're gonna be able to harvest that blood starts pumping and it's go time we i felt like we were running through everything running up the mountain and it's about as fast as we could go we may have discussed it in the before but what did you guys have for optic setups because i mean that to your point, like it's so vast up there and then you're trying to, you know, yeah. judge something at two miles to even see if it's worth chasing. Cause it's, and it's, it's an investment to go two miles in that country. It's oh, a yeah. serious investment. Yeah. Yeah. And this, this was a bull that was definitely, it was definitely borderline. Um, we, at that distance, like I said, there's no way to tell if he's 50 inches wide or not. You're definitely not going to count brow tines. Um, but we were running, I'm not sure what Cole had. Um, I had, I run their 10 by 42 binos. And then I had, um, a Lewis Leopold spotting scope with me. And then Chad was running. I don't even remember which one it was, but he had a Maven spotting scope. And what was nice about his setup is he, he did have a, uh, Gosh, I lost the, the word for it. A phone scope hooked up to his. Hmm. And so once you get, regardless of what, 
I mean, it's something I'm definitely going to invest in because regardless of what spotting scope you have, if you can get that phone scope hooked up, you can actually get that extra magnification from zooming on your phone. And phones mm-hmm. are so good these days that it's still pretty clear. If you can have it clear on your spotter, you can zoom in even more on your phone and it's still pretty clear. But it was the... um when we zoomed in on his phone, we were able to see that it would be borderline wide enough. And so that was kind of what made, made us make the decision to, to try for it. And if uh, people would probably have to know Chad and I a little bit better, but we're kind of those buddies that we, we can't get a lot of our other, other buddies to do some of the things we do, but we're the guys that if you look at, if one of us looks at the other one and says, you want to do it? The other guy's probably going to say, I'll go if you go. <laughs> so that, <laughs> that was kind of what happened. Is It was a long ways away. We knew it was two miles up river. We knew if we were to shoot this thing, it was probably going to be days of packing, and it was not going to be fun whatsoever. But we're still like, we're in Alaska, and, and there's a bull moose right there. So are you going with me or not? Right. Like, That's what well, you're yeah, there for, man. Yeah, like I'm going. Yeah, I'm going. So, yeah. so we took off. Um, like I said, we got up there and unfortunately couldn't turn him back up. He was, we knew he was moving pretty quick, but we were hopeful that maybe we could get in front of him and cut him off. And we just didn't quite make it. Maybe a little, a little bit of the Nebraska and Wyoming guys underestimating Alaska a little bit and how long it really takes to go that distance. Like we can usually cover a couple miles pretty dang quick, the two of us, but um, not in this case. <laughs> Yeah, definitely different up there. Oh, without a doubt. When you step in and it's like a foot of sponge with every step, I mean, things are tough. So do you you got to the area and couldn't relocate them. Did you just spend time there? You know, kind of, yeah, I we, mean, at some point you're obviously going to like, hey, we need to get back before we we're on yeah. daylight or like what was yeah. the decision to? We spent a while there, um, glassed it pretty hard. Uh, we were pretty confident in the direction that bull was headed that it it was actually headed further up river and i mean if you got got three four miles from camp now you're really in in a really tough situation if you think you're going to shoot something and pack try to pack a whole moose back to camp so um we're hopeful that he was going to be right there but we're also pretty confident that by the time we got there that he was probably too far in the wrong direction so I think we spent like an hour and a half or two hours in that sitting on that knob waiting in class and see if, seeing if anything else would turn up. But where does the, I mean, I, uh, I'm along for the ride in terms of hunt story. I don't know if we jump. I don't know if you guys float, if there's days of, yeah. you know, action days of nothing. Yeah. I'm excited to hear about. It. So, so from there, we actually, um, when we got back to camp, we, we moved down river, not very far, like quarter to half a mile, I think is all we went. Um, and this was a location that we had actually, I think it was then the next day, uh, we were sitting around, we were actually glassing from camp, uh, pouring rain. We had a, a tarp laid out so we could be under the tarp, but still glassing and coal just starts like freaking out <laughs> like just going berserk bull 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 there's a bull there's a bull get the spotter he's just looking through his binos so we get a spotting scope up on another bull and there was a lot of kind of like disbelief like this bull was big um pretty confident like very very confident this was a shooter bull um when we talked like on our uh our video stuff. We have great video footage of him. Uh, we, he was about 1700 yards away as a crow flew and pouring rain and actually getting a little bit close to like the end of the day. So it actually was, I said morning, but it was actually in the afternoon um, because we actually ended up, it ended up dark on us, but um trying to figure out kind of who was going, who was staying at camp because being able to see him from camp, we kind of didn't want to lose it. We didn't, we didn't want to lose sight of him. We wanted someone to make sure we always had eyes on the, on the bowl. 
So Chad actually stayed at camp and Cole and I took off down the river. Um, I had used, I know you guys have done that, uh, some Onyx podcasts and stuff and uh, utilize some of those same things that were talked about with uh, finding your line distances and stuff with just putting two fingers on the phone. So that was super useful, helpful. I was able to range him with a range finder, figure out that he was about 1700 yards away and then use that map on Onyx and drop a point where I thought he was at. Um, and so I had I, I had a pretty good mark on him. And as anybody knows, when you start taking off after something and start putting a stock on something, when you get, the closer you get, the harder it is to figure out where you're actually at, um, especially in Alaska. When you, so we had to, we were going to have to go through, at this point, downriver a little bit. There's probably... It was probably like a mile and a quarter, mile and a half of, of timber um, from the river to the top of the tree line. And this bull, again, he was at the top of the tree line. And we got down river a ways and Cole and I talked about, okay, is this where we should go up? And we kind of looked at, looked at our Onyx map and decided we needed to go further. And so we went further and then we talked again, just tried to decide, okay, is this where we're going to go up or not? To be honest with you, I wasn't real sure if that was the right spot or not. Cole was pretty sure that was where we needed to go up. Um, and basically what it came down to is it was just like we went up, we, we went up through the trees in the wrong place is what ended up happening. And we couldn't get, we ended up not being able to get without going clear back out and around, not being able to get um, to where we needed to on that bowl, just because of the terrain and stuff. We just, we just couldn't quite get there. So we ended, our goal was to end up on the north side of this bowl and we ended up on the south side of him. And we knew that wasn't going to be good because we had a, a south wind blowing right at him. So we knew we weren't going to be able to make a very good stock on him. Um, and basically our lack of experience is what kind of messed that up for us. Um, we, we didn't ever end up turning him up uh, when we were up there. We were gone from camp for, I can't remember, it was like three or four hours. We were gone from camp trying to turn this thing up. And, and it's not, uh, again, it's our, it's our lack of experience a little bit like, it's not like when you're elk hunting that you can just bounce from ridge to ridge or it's easy walking. It's easy. Like you can't just, you can't just go anywhere fast. And then of course, while we're up there, it starts downpouring rain. And so you got, you got, you got that extra factor to deal with. And what ended up happening, which is like still for all of us, the most like gut wrenching thing that, that we had to deal with for this whole trip is we got back to camp after we were not able to turn this bull up and Chad was still looking at him in the spawning scope and it just <laughs> kind of made us, it, it made us want to throw up. Oh, like man. it was the worst feeling that I've ever had hunting, to be honest with you. And I've, I've not recovered deer. I've missed big deer. I've, I've done all of that, but when you're up there for this Alaska moose hunt and you, see this huge bull in your spotting scope and you go after him and you're gone for four hours and you can't turn him up and then you come back and he's moved a little bit but he's still watching him in the spotting scope it was like that was it was so disheartening and of course it was that it was right at the end of the day like we didn't have time to go back in there or we probably would have like but it took us it took us two hours to get up there and then we we're probably up there for, you know? Yeah. So that was, again, there's, there's a lot of things there that we learned from. I mean, that was the first bowl we'd ever really put a, put a play on that. We had thought we had a real chance at, um, but man, there was a, there was a, a major lack of sleep that night, just replaying it in my head and, trying to figure out how on earth did we possibly screw that up? And yeah, 
anybody who watches the video is going to see the, the see the bowl I'm talking about, and it's like a no brainer. Like it's a legal bowl, easy. Oh, man. And it's just, I mean, it haunts me. Literally talking about it right now just yeah. makes me sick. It it haunts me to this day, and it'll haunt me forever until I go back and have another opportunity. But that, so like you say, no sleep that night. But is there also hope of turning them up again, right, the next day? There is, there is, yeah. and that's that's probably a big part of why there was no sleep is I can't get him out of my mind. I'm like, yeah, he's going to okay. be there in the morning. He's going to be in the same place. He's going to. Right. We should have like screwed it up. But. Yeah. Now I'm hearing nothing but like dejection and regret, but I'm thinking in the moment there had to be like, oh yeah, bummer, sure. but like, here's For hope, sure. right? Like, well, just second chance. Yeah. Hindsight. I mean, now that, now that I'm back here, it's three, four months later, it's like, gosh, I screwed that up right, so right. bad. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, we we're pretty, we we're, we we're, we we're bummed, but we were stoked that we had seen such a good bull and we knew he was there. Like we didn't blow him out. Like he didn't bust us. None of that. Like he was, he was still there just moseying, doing, you know, doing moose things, just hanging out. And when that was at the end of the day, so we knew he was in the area. Now what they do overnight, who knows? But I mean, I, I we we're pretty sure he wasn't going to go too crazy far. So, but that we got up the next day and didn't turn up anything, no cows, no bull, no nothing. Um, and I, it's hard to remember back, honestly, on all the days and how they kind of, you know, they kind of string together. But, um, so we spent most of that next day in that same area and, I mean, we had to float 40 miles a river. We had 40 miles that we had to travel in these nine days, too. So we were also kind of like, well, like we want to stay, but like we kind of have to go. <laughs> like how, how long can we stay in one place? And the unfortunate thing that we ended up doing is we ended up um, – too far down river too early and it, it made me understand why i'm super glad we did the float hunt like that was an experience of a lifetime i'm super glad we, i don't regret doing it at all but i understand more now why so many guys do drop camps because you can hunt an area i think for a day or two and not see anything and then all of a sudden there's been a moose there and you just see him finally. And I do believe that the first probably four or five miles of river where we're at was definitely the best hunting. And part of that was because, because of what we could see from the river, you know, being able to see the top of the tree line and see pockets of trees. And, um, you were really able to glass things up easily, more easily, um, when we were up higher, in the river than than where we ended up but as we moved down the river that the river got narrower and the banks got steeper so the trees were taller so you couldn't see the see the tree line the tree line went from a mile from the river to two miles from the river and it just got super tough um i could see those areas being workable like if you were talking like you were in the moose rut where maybe mm-hmm. some calling could work, but for as early in the season as we were and what, what our tactics really needed to be that early, our biggest mistake. And we knew we told ourselves not to let it happen. was that we went down river too early, went too far down river too early. And by the, I don't even remember what day it was. We were, there was one day where we were just, we didn't see any, we hadn't seen anything for a couple days and we were just really kicking ourselves because we felt like we, we did leave the best moose hunting. Um, and again, it, it was a, it was an experience thing because we didn't know how long it was going to take us to float 40 miles a river. We didn't know what that river looked like. We didn't, we didn't know any of that. So it was kind of disheartening. Um, after, that was the last, that bolt that I was just talking about was the last uh bull we saw we saw a cow and a calf a little bit later yeah yeah it was 
when you talk about going too far down too soon, what did that look like practically? Like, did you guys end up having like a couple days, but you're essentially done with the float? Like you're all the way to the end or. So we didn't, we didn't get to the end until we needed to, okay. um, you know, we, we drug it out and we, we hunted, we hunted the whole way down and we, we, I will say we, we grounded out, we grinded it out. Um, even though we felt like we screwed up, we still kind of had the mentality like, okay, but we're here. Right. Like you, you could still stumble across one. Like it could happen. Um, we, we found a place where there was a nice knob where we could walk through some of the timber and we could get up on a knob and we could spend hours glassing up there. Uh, we did that a couple times, uh, before moving from that spot, you know, so we, we, we didn't give up by any means. Like we, we still busted our butts, but we just knew that in a, in a hunt, I, th- I can't remember what the success rate, the success rate was like 40 or 50%. And we knew that because of what we had just done, that we dropped that 40% to probably closer to like a 10%, just because of what the terrain looked like and how hard it was going to be to actually spot anything. Um, so we knew what we were dealing with, that what we had, and like I said, it's an experience thing. Like we didn't, we didn't know until we realized it, like, it's not if if we'd have known that's what was going to happen. Obviously, we wouldn't have done it. But it's not knowing the river, like not having been on the river, you don't know what it turns into. You can look on a map all you want, and it gets it's so hard to tell how tall the trees are. You can see there's trees there, but how tall they are, and um, but we kept busting our butts through it. We didn't we didn't quit. We just knew that it had dropped our success or our odds quite a bit um there was a day that we ended up we found two what looked to me or in my mind were huge caribou um and i was ready to go after them and it it kind of came down to the same thing that it got dark on us and it was raining and the question and this was this was about when we spotted these caribou, we were probably 36 hours from the time that we were going to get taken out of here. And we were not at our extraction point yet. So we had, we had to make, and we had to make this tough decision of, okay, do we go after these caribou, which are on the other side of the river? So we got to take our rafts up. We got to load everything up. We got to go across the river. They were 2000 vertical feet above the river where they were at. So then we got to get up there and then they were on their way over the top. So then they had went to the backside and you guys know caribou, like they don't really stop moving. <laughs> so who knows when you get up there, if they were even going to be there. Um, and then really what it came, came down to is the time that we had, even if we were to get up there and get something killed, we weren't going to have time to, like ethically get it back and you know get it taken care of properly and that's a perfect example of having like what we talked about at the beginning having that extra time on both ends and unfortunately for i was i was the only one who had a caribou harvest harvest ticket so i was the only one that could have done it unfortunately for me like we talked at the beginning my job didn't allow me to take any more days at at either end i just couldn't do it like we had, I had to be out on a certain day and I had to be back. So, um, I, I don't know how else we could have done that. I guess it was, I've, I've thought back to that many times too, because between that bull moose, which was definitely legal and, and these two bull caribou that were in my mind, huge, like I, I'm, I'm no, um, huge caribou hunter by any means obviously I've, that's the only time i've ever been there but these these were noticeably bigger than anything that we had seen prior but just the situation we were in and we just couldn't do it we couldn't make we couldn't make it sound sound uh like we could make it work i guess 
your buddy's not having a harvest ticket for caribou is that just i don't want to say an oversight but like it, there's no reason kind of not to i guess <laughs> well and that's kind of what i talked to him about too um so chad had let's see what did we have cole cole only wanted a moose like he was set on a moose he was going for a moose that was what he wanted okay and i had i think he might have had a wolf tag also i had a i had the moose caribou and wolf and then chad had uh, moose black bear and wolf so i mean that was kind of my opinion i 100 percent agree with you there that i was like i'm going like the harvest ticket's free yeah yeah like, i guess i should once i have yeah i was gonna say we should clarify my question yeah and and i mean they understood like we talked through it i did I do a lot of the, or a lot of research and stuff. Like I, I made sure everybody was clear and knew what we could get. And they, they kind of, Chad wanted to shoot a black bear if he was there. And Cole said he only wanted a moose. So I was like, all right, well, I'm going to get a caribou tag. Cause if we see a big bull, I'm going after it. So yeah. Yeah. For people who don't know, like, uh, yeah, to clarify if like, so you guys buy your, your moose locking tag and that's what you're paying for is that moose locking tag but you can go okay we're gonna be in this unit of alaska like what else is legal harvest during these dates and like let's say it's black bear and caribou you can then print a harvest what's called a harvest ticket for black bear and caribou at no charge like you just have it with you and you can kill a black bear or a caribou in this case but you have to put your moose locking tag on it so it's not that you can right. kill all three, but it's that, hey, I paid for this moose tag. I can only use this moose locking tag one time. It's like one animal, but it could be used on any of these three animals, moose, caribou, black bear, essentially a, no extra charge, right? So uh, yeah, just to clarify for listeners, like let's say you guys did kill two bulls and you get to the end of the trip and there's a bomber caribou. And all three of you guys had yep. a caribou harvest ticket. Well, the two guys who already killed a moose, like they've already used their locking tag. But this third right. guy still has a moose locking tag and he has a caribou harvest ticket, which was free. He can then put his moose tag on a caribou because he has, you know, the ability to do so. So, yeah, to me, it's like, again, I understand the idea of like, I'm all in, I'm only going moose. That's fine. But it's also to me pointless to like, and I'm not saying this critically, but based on my own Alaska experience, it's like carry a harvest ticket for everything that is legal because yeah. you just may change your mind. Like you may find yep. a bomber caribou yep. and your heart was set on moose. But now when you're staring at a bomber caribou, like you at least want to give yourself the opportunity to right. like harvest this thing. Yep. And that was kind of what I said. I, the The likelihood of me going back, I mean, the likelihood of me going back period is is very good. I will be back, but whether it, whether I were to go back to Alaska for a caribou or for a moose, I would say the odds were equal. So whatever I came across that it was, that was big, that I wanted to harvest, I was going to take whichever one first. Cause I'll go back for the other one at a different time, you know? So yeah, like you said, it, it, it seemed to me like a no brainer just for, for a free, I mean, just we'll print it off and have it and yeah, have the you option. You don't want to use it. Don't use it. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, that was actually, I mean, outside of that, we saw, got down river and saw a couple big bull bison. Um, but after those, after those caribou and, and that was kind of another one of those hard things where we were, Chad and I, we were, we were packing up. Like we had looked at each other. We're like, I'll, I'll go if you go. And we're both <laughs> like, all right, let's go. Yeah. And then as we were about to do it, we started like adding the time up and, and the logistics of it in our head. And we're like, wait a minute. Like, okay, it's, it's downpouring. Now we're about to head up in the dark to where these caribou were. And then we have 36 hours and we're going to have to rush. It just, we just couldn't make it work out, unfortunately. And so those were the last things that we saw that we could actually harvest and, we got up the next morning and made it down to our extraction point and planes came and yeah, it was, 
it was, I don't know, it was a good feeling, I guess, to know that we did it. Um, it was definitely a good feeling to know that we, I, we chose the right place, I guess. You know, we did all that work. We were in the right place. Um, what sucked about it and that at the end of the hunt, you're always, you know, you're always planning. If you guys are anything like me, as soon as you're done with a hunt, especially if you weren't successful, you're already planning your next one. So it's like, all right, what would you do different? Well, if I were to do it different, I would go to the exact same place, but I would probably do a 10 day drop hunt and just put all my, all my marbles into that one spot. I mean, I could, I could take my one man tent, couple miles two or three miles up the river two or three miles down the river i could i could be flexible you know within six to seven miles i could be flexible up and down the river um but i wouldn't and and there's other i'm sure there's shorter shorter trips you could do but just the way this stuff laid out with the the contacts and pilots we had like we had to go 40 miles to get out so um, we didn't want to initially that our plan was to go more like 20, but we just couldn't get stuff lined up and pilots didn't have places to get in and things like that. And we just ended up basically, we we're told that this is where we had to be or it wasn't going to work. So like I said, hindsight, I'm glad, super, super glad we did the float hunt because it's an experience of a lifetime and not, there's not very many people that can say they did it. We had opportunities. They just didn't work out. Um, when I go back, I'll, I'll probably do a drop hunt though. I think yeah, uh, that's easy to say. Cause you like, you've seen the other side, right? I'm sure there's plenty of guys who've sure. gone on a drop hunt and like, we're in a bad area. Didn't see something like, God, I wish I would have done a float hunt and been able to cover more country. Yeah. Right. Like there's just always yep. going to be pros and cons. And I think it, some of it comes back to that experience. Like I, if I did a drop hunt, I wouldn't go to a new area that I don't know. I would probably go right back to this spot. Cause I, yeah. I really liked what I saw and I was confident in the area. Um, and I've seen it, you know, mm-hmm. I've seen it. I've been there. I've experienced it. I've seen the big bulls there. I've seen like, it'll work. I think I just need to stay in the right area. Yeah. Sounds like a solid plan for sure. What'd you guys do? logistically for um boots and weight or being in and out of the water all the time we ended up um i mean just like you hear a lot of guys we spent 90 percent of our time maybe more in our waders um mm. we got the um sims g4 i can't remember if it's g4x or g4z um Basically, they were, I think they were a newer model waiter at the time. We got the stocking foot waiters. And then just, they had, Sims had some flyweight wading boots with Vibram soles on them that we got. And I, I, I don't, I can't imagine not having been in those. They were super durable. Uh, they did not, I mean, we went, we went through tons of crazy stuff that, would have ripped all sorts of different waders to to shreds and mm. there's not really a mark on them hardly um so just a good durable wader because and they're breathable which was nice pretty breathable mm. for for a waiter i mean nothing's going to be perfect being in a waiter but um really really happy with with that purchase they're not they're not cheap that's for sure but one thing that we told ourselves is I'm not going to go up there and wish I'd have bought something that was yeah. higher quality. Yeah. yeah. So when you were like hiking down the river, you're wearing them and then were you taking them off to go climb yeah. up the hill or just, did you just keep nope. them on? And uh, we just left them on. Okay. Yep. We just, we, we spent all of our hiking was in those waders and boots wow. and, and, and they have, I don't know if you're familiar too much with the sim stuff, but they have all sorts of different sizes. So you can really customize your size quite a bit. So we were able to, I, we have a Cabela's here in town. So I kind of went out and tried some stuff on. I figured out what size I needed. You can get talls or you can get longs or you can get shorts. And so it was, it was nice to be able to kind of customize that a little bit where like when you're taking these big steps to, 
to get through all this brush and stuff and through the moss on the ground you got like i said you sink in a foot every step like so you got to lift your legs high it's not like you're dragging Mm -hmm. your feet like you're walking walking on dirt but um they fit good enough where they didn't they were i never felt like they were pulling on my legs or anything like that i so i I definitely got the correct size and and they were comfortable i had i have no complaints about it to be honest (laughs) with you what'd you do for ring gear like a top like a jacket yeah so since we had those waders and planned to spend so much time in them we didn't um we didn't buy bottoms obviously um so i had the um the first light omen storm shelter is the jacket that i bought and again kind of the same same thing with the waders had no complaints never never had a doesn't have a mark on it right now after taking it through all that brush and stuff, it it held up perfect and never had never had a mark on it. So I was super happy with that one. So if you went back into the drop camp, you'd still want a little raft to cross back and forth across the river. Yeah, and I can't remember what they're called. There's some cool. I've seen some cool um, like little one man rafts that you can they pack mm-hmm. down. I can't I can't remember the brands off the top of my head, but I think that's probably something I would take is something small and packable that you can dart across quick. Mm-hmm. A lot of the river you could probably walk across, but there was definitely like the main channel and stuff. It was flowing pretty good. You would definitely not want to end up falling down up there. <laughs> yeah. Anything else that stands out like lessons learned things you do differently. Uh, and it sounds like you're going to do this thing again. So <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Without a doubt. Um, I guess some extra things that stand out. I, I do believe um, based on things that we have seen online and talking, um, talking with some other pilots and we met some, some other guys while we were up there. I believe some of these areas are going to draw units. So I think that'll make it a little bit tougher. Um, So it, I don't want to obviously give away our location too much because I want to go back there. But um, I, I guess just as people are planning, looking forward, like some of those things might be changing based on herd sizes and um, moose density and things. So just make sure as you start to book pilots and stuff, make sure you have a tag and things like that. But the overall cost was kind of shocking to me. It real that whole trip only cost us forty five hundred bucks a person, um, not including like, not including like gear purchases and things like that. But like, bags, uh, flights, yeah, logistics. Yeah, 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 like your rafts and your planes and all your flights and like it. It was forty five hundred dollars. Now that was your uh, license fees, tags, that type of thing. Yep, that's license fees, everything. Nice. So the only thing that doesn't include is gear purchases. Like, like I said, I bought that new, those new waders. I bought the, the raincoat, like things like that. But um, to be able to go on a moose hunt for $4,500 is kind of insane, I guess. And having three guys definitely helped. Like you split up the plane costs a little bit. Um, you split the raft costs a, a little more, but it's, it, it's not even comparable to what you pay. Like if someone were to go up there with a guide, not saying that that's not what somebody should do. If that's what they want to do, I guess I, you know, that's up to you. That's neither here nor there for me. But if, if you're looking for something that's like, you want the experience you have those. Um, I mean, you want to make sure you have some of those backcountry survival skills because you're out there on your own. But if you feel like that's, that's something that, that you can do and you're you're skilled enough to do it like forty five hundred dollars is a year's savings for for a lot of people you know like you can save that up for a hunt and it's just not i i always kind of thought a moose hunt would be crazy expensive and maybe a little bit out of reach um to be able to do multiple times but after doing it this time and seeing what it actually costs and land it all out it's one of those things that i'm I'll do multiple times more in my life. I guarantee it. So, yeah, I mean, just a drop camp 
kind of air transit hunt, those are going to be eight, nine thousand dollars, and that's just your that's just them yeah. getting you in and out of the field, not your tags and all the other costs. Yeah, yeah, it's and now with that said, keep in mind that we didn't have we did, we didn't end up getting any moose that they had to get out for us either. So that <laughs> right. would have been oh, a plane cost, extra charge. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they would. I think. I think he was charging. I want to say seven hundred fifty bucks an hour, is what our bush pilot was getting. Um, mm. So you know, if if he'd had to come in and get a moose for us, that's probably another fifteen hundred, two thousand dollars. Yeah. When you kill your moose, though, you're so happy you're not thinking about the dollars. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> no <laughs> taxidermy bill. We'll just write the check. And <laughs> yeah. I wish. I wish. <laughs> Someday. I'll be back. I'll have one. No worries about that. Well, that is a wrap on that one. What a cool adventure and experience for those guys. Even though they didn't fill that tag and learn some lessons, as you heard, it's going to inform them better for future hunts. And I'm excited to hear that they're headed back to do a moose hunt in Alaska again. I hope that whether you just enjoyed the story or you are looking to plan an adventurous hunt on your own, whether that's for moose or not, whether it's for Alaska or not. Hope there were some good takeaways in this for you. If you have any questions for us, send an email to podcast at exomountaingear.com. We'd love to hear from you and consider answering your questions on a future Monday Minute podcast or other Q&A formats. And as always, if you are enjoying the show, it would help us tremendously if you can leave a rating or review in whatever podcast you use. Please consider doing that now. And as always, thanks for tuning in.